And this parsha told us, we read about Isaac calling Esau and telling him that he wants to bless him before he dies. And, uh, and uh, then he tells them, Rebecca overheard the conversation and she wanted that Isaac should bless Jacob, not Esau. And therefore, she decided to come up with the whole idea how Jacob will mislead his father, right? He will dress up like Esau. Okay, right away, you know the story. And uh, he, will, he got the blessings. But then when Esau heard that Jacob stole his blessings from him, he got very upset. He said, you're going to kill him. That his mother said he has to run away to Haran to, until his father will get, until his father will relax, until Esau's anger will go over. Meanwhile, she tells, Rebecca tells Isaac, and that's the important part. She tells Isaac, call Jacob and tell him that he has to marry somebody from the family. She says, if not, I feel like it's, it's my, li my life is worthless. I want them to marry, he should marry somebody from the family. If he, he takes on the Hittite girls, cuts the Bechayai. I don't need to be alive. That's how she said it. She put it to him. Mm -hmm. That Isaac is calling Jacob like a good husband, and he's doing exactly what his wife tells him, and he's giving him a blessing. And that's where we're starting now. Let's see what he says to him. And Isaac? And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and he commanded him, You shall not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Haram. First of all, you're not taking a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Just like Abraham didn't want Isaac to marry a woman from the daughter of Canaan. We read yesterday in the synagogue. And he sent Eliezer all the way to Haran to find a girl. He sent him to the same direction. Go to Haran. Go ahead. Uh, arise, go to Padan Haram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself from there a wife of the daughters of Laban. Here they gave her a simple address. Laban's daughters. There was no mistakes. Not, oh, go, you look for a girl. If she's kind, if she's nice, she's cute. No. <laughs> go marry somebody from Laban's daughter, your first cousin. And may the Almighty God bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And you shall become an assembly of peoples. And may he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring. I told him, may he give you the blessings of Abraham... The blessing that Jacob taught is going to give it to Esau. He never planned to give it to Esau. He gave, it, he gave him, now he gives, uh, Isaac gives Jacob the same blessing that Abraham gave him, that he will continue the Jewish people. He gives it to him. Continue. That you may inherit the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. And basically, the land that God promised Abraham, the land of Canaan, it should become the land of Israel. Isaac tells Jacob it's going to be yours. Continue. And Isaac sent Jacob. And he went to Padan Aram to Lavan, the son of Bethuel, the Armenian, Armaian, uh, Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Asa. Here is the story. It's all story about what Isaac, what Isaac told Jacob, and Jacob is going. And next week's Pasha, right away, starts by Yaakov, Jacob left, and he went to Haran. In the middle, there is an insert, and that's what we're going to talk about. Go ahead. So, so Go ahead, please. Isaac... Yeah, he gave this. He thought he was blessing Asa, 
if we, before. Knew, we knew Asa wasn't such a great guy. Why would he want him to have better blessings? Okay, this maybe is a whole thought, maybe thought this is a whole <coughs> huge conversation. Yeah. But in two words, you can say two things. Number one, he thought that if you'll give him blessings, he'll bring him back. He knew that the poten- Esau has such potential. He's so powerful. If he would just be a man, she'll be unbelievable. Hmm. Jacob was a more mild boy. Esau was, oh, ho, ho. Hmm. He was ready for war every minute. That's number one. Number two, Je- Isaac never gave the blessing that he planned to give to Jacob, to Esau. He gave him a different type of blessings. He gave him material blessings. Then when, when Jacob potentized his Esau, he got material blessings. He never got the spiritual blessing. The spiritual blessing he got now. Then basically, Isaac knew what exactly what he was doing. In any case, continue. And Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take for himself a wife from there. And he commanded him, saying, You shall not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And Jacob listened to his father and his mother. Oh, one more second. Esau saw that Isaac blessed Jacob, and he sent him to marry off a, do- a woman from the family, not from the daughters of Canaan, right? Yeah. Then, okay, then Esau listened. Uh, yeah, Esau. Okay, continue. And Jacob listened to his father and his mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went to Padamaran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan were displeasing to his father Isaac. Ah, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan are not displeasing to his father. So Esau went to Ishmael, and he took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, the sister of Nebaioth, in addition to his other wives as a wife. And Jacob left Beersheba, and he went to Haran. Okay, 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 okay. And what is happening here? Esau went and he married somebody from the family too. He said, oh, my father married someone in the family. He also has a family. We don't have to go all the way to Haran. I have a cousin, Ishmael. He's also uncle, right? No, he's from the family. What's his? What's wrong with Ishmael? So his wife was not, his mother was not uh, from the family. Big deal. Not Jewish. What? From the family. That the great tzaddik Esau went and he married the daughter from Ishmael. Her name is here, Machalat. We'll get to it. But he married her in top of his women. Esau married before already two women. Mm-hmm. Canaanite girls. Who used to worship idols in Isaac's house. Now he saw that his father doesn't like it. They didn't know about that. He never heard a memo that they don't like somebody from the Canaanite girls. Mm-hmm. Well, the first time he heard about, oh, his father told Jacob, he's also a tzaddik, he's going to marry, and he married somebody from the family, right? Uh, I have a question. Yeah. So in the readings, it, it, in, the, in the Torah, it, it talks, they give you a whole description of uh, the family of Ishmael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, as much as any, and why, why is that? Why are they spending so much time on Ishmael's family? To know the continuation, because it's important to know who is woman. For I think Rashi says for a specific person, though. But in general, Ishmael was the opposite of, of J- Jacob, the 12 uh, sons, 12 tribes. Yes. Ishmael got it. I know. Then everything that uh, Abraham, there is two sides always. There is right-wingers, there is left-wingers. There's always two sides. <laughs> Don't think you're going to eradicate one of the sides. Because in, in the world of free choice, there is always two sides. And that's what re- really why Ishmael is, is, Ishmael is important. God promised Re'egar that if Ishmael will come out, a great, great nations. And so, d- 
do, do, does the Torah not talk about what happens later? It's for us to find out in real time? What's Most of the things that we are... The, we Torah, the Torah concentrates on the Jewish story. Right, it drops out. But from time to time, the Torah makes clear what happened there, and always there is a specific reason. Then what you're going to concentrate now is why the Torah tells us the story, who is ace of merit. That's what you are talking about. Okay, uh, you want to read? Why the twist in the story? At the end of the Torah portion, we read about Isaac sending Jacob off to the Dan Aram. At the start of the next Torah portion, we read about Jacob's subsequent travels. And Jacob left Beersheba, and he went to Haran. But in the middle, between Isaac's words and Jacob's departure, the Torah pauses and tells us a separate story regarding Esau. Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan were displeasing to his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael, and he took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael. This raises a question. In the middle of a story about Jacob, why interrupt with a story about Esau? Yeah, why Esau in the middle? Get enough of Esau. Huh? Very important, oh, that's we need to understand. What is so important? Oh, exactly. That's part a question. Of that balance of the, oh, I, I, that oh, yeah. Give the Rebbe a chance. He's going to explain. <laughs> Another question. Um, you can pass. Go ahead. Was Esau a first class groom? Another question. <clears throat> Our sages state regarding Esau's new wife, was her name actually Mahalath? Wasn't her name Basmath? Basmath. Basmath, as cited elsewhere in the Torah. Rather, this name teaches us that all Esau's sins were forgiven, as Mahalath stems from the Hebrew word for forgiveness, mochel. This teaches us that all the sins of a bridegroom are forgiven. Aha! Here you learn something new. Unbelievable. The name of Esau's wife, really, in another place, and it's written, it's written the list of the daughters of Ishmael's children, she's called Bosmas. Here the Torah changes to Mochlas, very similar with a, with, a, with a M in the beginning. Then Rashi says, why the Torah changed the name, from, gave her a different name? Mochlas means Mochel. You know Mochel? Slach lano, mechalano, kaper, mechilat avonot means forgiveness. From here we learn that God had forgiven Esau all his sins when he got married. And we learn that every chosen, every groom and bride who get married, God forgives them all the sins when they get married. You know that? That's great news. A little late for us. Avia, just don't forget it when you get married. God forgives you all your sins. Your parents, I'm not so sure, but God will forgive you. Then... That's, that's what we learn. That's another Talmudic statement. Now we'll read it from inside, from source two. Please. And Esau was 40 years old when he married Judith, the daughter of Biri the Hittite, and the Basemath, the daughter of Elan the Hittite. Um, this is a quote of Esau before he married Mochlas, or Bosmas, whatever name you give her. He got married when he was four years old. He married two other women. You know why he got married when he was four years old? Why he got married at the age of 40? Middle life crisis. <laughs> 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 but Esau is smarter than that. 
because his father married at age of 40. The big tzaddik said he also has to get married before his father. Okay, continue. So he married another woman named Bosmas? Right. And Bosmas was later. Does it, does it, it, does it tell us... Elon, another Bosmas, yes. What? Okay. Hold on, he married both of them at the same time? No. So is it better for men to wait until they're 40? <laughs> no, no, we, didn't, we never said this. How it's written here, he mar- when he was 40, he married Judith. And Bosmat. And Bosmat. Bosmat. Two women, not one, two. Right, he married about a crisis? But you say not in the same time. No, these two he married right away. That the other one is Bosmas. I don't think it's the same Bosmas. Let's see. Beery no, and Bosmas. He had two women before her. He may have two women before her. He likes the name. That's going to be the end. Okay, read, read Rashi, the commentary. Isa was compared to a swine, as it said in Rashi. The swine from the forest, God added. The swine, when it lies down, stretches out its hooves, as if to say, See, I am a clean, kosher animal. So too, those who first rob and plunder and then pretend to be honorable. During the entire 40 years, Isa kidnapped wives from their husbands and violated them. When he was 40 years old, he said, my father married at 40, I too will do the same. So it's not that until four years old he was a big tzaddik. <laughs> he was running around and doing all the bad things in the world. When he's four, he said, I'll do what my father did. His father was a very righteous man. And he got married by four years old. He never did anything, never, did, never touched another woman before. But this guy... So each time he got married, his sins were cleared? No. Mm-hmm. And he married Mocha. <laughs> By the way, yes, but, but uh, that's a different, different story. <laughs> and now we're going to learn. How, how is it that yeah. the, he was this wicked and then suddenly he just stopped being wicked? Ah, that's the question. Why God forgive him all his sins? What happens? You don't, no, he didn't stop to be wicked. He would get a forgiveness and he started to do other sins again. You mean Catholic, Catholic way? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> now, he is violating married women. Why didn't he get a death penalty? From whom? I don't know. He was the gangster of the town. Everybody was afraid of him. At that God, time. He, that's what he, that's what he means. God, God doesn't give out so fast death penalties. If God, if God would give out so quick death penalties, very few people would be alive. So I understand there are certain things in the Torah we read, we, it's, you just accept it. But, but how does getting married wash away the sins of all the previous times? Beautiful. I, I That's what you are going... You don't you deserve all, your, all the person's sins to be washed down just because you get married? Women at least. Not that they have sinned, but if they would have sinned. Only women's? No, 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 I'm saying women deserve. Yeah. Men deserve less, but women for sure deserve. It's not enough to suffer from your husband. You need, you need sin, other <laughs> sins from before. The husband is atoning for his sorrows, atones for all your sins. Right? We'll ask every woman, she'll tell you that. We'll, we'll learn. That's the whole discussion. Why? His sins are atoned when he gets married. You go ahead. Um, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but don't when you get married, uh, before you get married, don't you have to dent yourself in rainwater? In the mikveh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Not that, that has to do with this, but that has to, ah? Uh? Doesn't that wash away your sins? No, going, going to the mikveh doesn't, makes you pure, but doesn't wash away your sins. That would be easy, hey, boy. <laughs> go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you want to read? 
Now we're, going, we're getting a little bit of a background. Who is Esau? The nice guy. Despise the birthright. Um, Russian scripture uh, attests to the wickedness that he despised the, uh, the service of the, the God. Uh, yeah. When Esau, when Esau, you know the first story between Jacob and Esau, the Jacob that Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. That's in the Torah. Why he sold it? Because he didn't care for it. He didn't need it. He says. First birthright is a very important thing when you serve God in the temple. He says, I don't need it. I don't care for it. You can take it. And then that was when he was 13 years old. The next paragraph. Look what this accomplished in, in um, we will see in a minute. Go ahead. And on that day, Abraham died. Lest uh, he see Esau, his grandson, falling into bad ways. For that would not be the good old age that God had promised him. Therefore, God shortened his life by five years. For Isaac lived 180 years, and Abraham lived only 175 years. Abraham was supposed to live, from Isaac's years, you know what Abraham was supposed to live. It's written that if a person deserves that he lives his father's years, the same age. Then if Isaac lived, say, 180, why, why Abraham died by 175? Then the Talmud says, Rashi brings on the Talmud, that God shortened his days. He shouldn't see after the bar mitzvah how Esau is going crazy and he's becoming a gangster. Then he, God wanted uh, Abraham should die in, in peace. Yeah? So back then, you knew when you were going to die? That's not good. No, you did. First of all, Musa, that's bad. Number two, he didn't know. But usually they live, they hope to live all the mother's years or the father's years. And therefore, for sure. no, that's why Isaac, when he gave the blessings to, to Jacob, to Esau, it was by the age of his mother's years, five years before his mother's death. She died when she was 127. When Isaac was 123, he wanted to give Esau the blessing because he said, who knows, maybe I will live as the age of my mother. You understand? That's why it is. But that's a different story. Okay, we'll go to source number five. Riva said to Rabbi Mar- Bar Marie, "What is the source of that which people say?" And that palm tree- Remember, yesterday you talked about that. What people say? You in the Talmud is finding sources for this. What people say? Go ahead. A bad palm tree uh, strolls and goes to the to be uh, among a grove of barren trees. Why is one battery goes to another batteries? Go ahead. I.e. People seek out bad people. Mm-hmm. Bar but. Bar Marie replied, This matter is written in the Torah, repeated in the prophets, and triplicated in the writings. <clears throat> and we learned, uh, learned it in Mishnah and uh, in the Bara. Braita. Braita. Braita is the, all, it's what was supposed to be the Mishnah and just didn't make it to the book that we have it in the Talmud, the Braita. But it's also the Talmud, it's a part of the Talmud. Go ahead. It is written in the Torah, as it says, and Esau went to Ishmael. Uh, in the bar, bar Baita. Yeah, Esau went to Ishmael. Esau had to marry somebody from the cousins. Who he went to Ishmael? In the Baita, we learn. Uh, we learn that Re- uh, Rabbi El- Elizar said, not for not did the uh, starling go to the raven, raven. because... It is uh, its kind 
as they're both unkosher. See, there is a saying in, in Hebrew, not for nothing, the sterling went to the raven because the same. Basically, because both, both impure, impure birds. When you see one bad guy goes to the other bad guy, he says, there is a reason why they... they smile, that's what that's yeah. Bad people attract to themselves of their own kind. When you can see, you can see who the person is, but who is he hanging out with? You can go to a classroom, you can see adults. That's how we measure people. In Russian, there is a saying, tell me who your friend is and we'll tell you who you are. Exactly, this, uh, this saying is in every language. In the Talmud, there's a better way. Why the Zazir went to the Orev, why the Starling went to the Raven? Because they are, both of them are not kosher. Why is Ace, why Esau went to Ishmael? Because they are, they are alike. No, I think that's too general. I mean, I have friends that aren't very good, but they're nice. Mm-hmm. Very, ah. <laughs> that make me a bad guy? It makes you nice, but not so good. <laughs> Then if you go to influence them to become better, that's kosher. But if you're being influenced by them, that's a no, problem. No, I try to tell them. No, that's good. Now you're a very righteous man. How hard are you trying? Stop doing bad things. You're going to get in trouble. You see, it's like in the Russian way. How hard are you trying? We'll measure it from one to ten. Go ahead, please. This is utterly bizarre. The Torah wants to describe the elevated spiritual state of a bridegroom about to establish a Jewish home, but couldn't find a better example than Esau. Couldn't find a better example than Esau? The, the Torah wants to say, how important is a marriage? And God forgives you for all your sins. Couldn't find anybody in town but Esau. Go ahead. Who married the daughter of Ishmael, who was special in her own right. Our sages say about this wedding, not for naught did the starling go to the raven, but because it is kind. Is this really the wedding of note, which teaches us that a bridegroom is forgiven of all his sins? You know, every time when I have a wedding here, we just did my daughter's wedding, and people ask me right to every time after the wedding, what happened to the groom? He looked so upset. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is he really want to get married? May is he having second thoughts? Is somebody forcing him? Especially when we are taking him like this to the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you're going or else. <laughs> and and uh, he was already not. I mean, he, but he, my other son-in-laws, that was bad. And Miriam tells me, why are you putting them in front of the sh- people should see them? They look like they're dying. <laughs> they're fasting a whole day. And the bride is covered up. It looks like a terrible scene. Mm. And I want to tell you, he's not regretting. He's very happy. But the day of your, we- of your chuppe, the day of your g- g- getting married, is your own person, is your keeper of your life. You know, there is your keeper once a year. Shabbat is really the keeper of the week. Erev Rosh Chodesh is Yom Kippur of the month. I'm not going to go into long details. Every night before you go to sleep is your Yom Kippur of the day. There is Yom Kippur of your life. The Yom Kippur of your life is the day of your wedding. You know, and it's written that what you think under the chuppah, you can pray for 50 years. You should have children and grandchildren should be doing, going in the right way. Therefore, the couple is never, getting, is never involved in the details of the wedding. They are like coming like guests. Nobody asks them, nobody tells them. You just show up. 
we will do everything else. You concentrate on, your, on the importance of the day. And I'm, I'm sad to tell you that now you're already all married, too bad. <laughs> and I don't suggest you should remarry again in all renewal of the vows. Just you should know for your children, the most important day of your life is your, is your wedding. Then the Rebbe says, you want to teach the Jewish people that the day of your wedding is the day you will sin. And we say, that's why the fasting is like Yom Kippur. And they say, you know, on the Al-Chet, you say Yom Kippur, Al-Chet for the sin, for the sin, for the sin. The Chosen says it in the service before the Chuppah. Before, before the Chuppah, he is reciting the whole thing. It's a very important day. You learn it so, from uh, me. My daughter was saying that uh, you uh, become... Uh, like an angel that day, and you can give like blessings. You don't become an angel. Not uh, an angel, but like you can. Oh, because you. I'll tell you. You 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 have the power to pray for other people. Not that yeah, you can yeah, give yeah, blessings. Right, yeah. You can, and therefore people bombard sometimes bombard the groom, the groom and the bride with many requests. But in Chabad, the Rebbe said, don't don't bombard them. Let them think what they need to think. Let them concentrate on their own special day. And not because bring them all the stories from the whole Jewish people mm-hmm. and the red. They're not rabbis. They're just a couple who's getting married. A poor young couple is getting married and leave them alone. Maybe, they, maybe the groom knows the rabbi has a shotgun in his office. You ever hear a shotgun wedding? No. You never heard of that? No. We'll learn, we'll learn that another time. <laughs> not that I know about that, but we'll learn that another If you give me the suggestion, we'll learn that later. I'll get the education later. All right. The answer. Okay. The answer. It is specifically Esau wedding which teaches us about the supreme importance of um, procreating, be fruitful and multiply, and revealing the power of God in this world. The Torah specifically chooses to emphasize the point with regards to Esau. Despite his terrible character, all his sins were forgiven when he decided to be fruitful and multiply. It means to say like this, being fruitful and multiply is the biggest, most important mission of humanity. If there's no kids, there's no nothing. Then the Torah took Esau, even this evil man, already married other women, he did whatever you want. The day he gets married, God forgives him for everything because he's going to do the most important job. Anything, just get married. Does it have to be married anywhere or married specifically to a Jewish no. person? No. Any person who gets married, God forgive us. Esau was not marrying a Jewish girl. He was marrying Ishmael's daughter. Right. Well, she was not, not Jewish. Not in any way, shape, or form. But that's his third wedding. That one is wedding. Get married. Have kids. But, 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 but Does he? why is it singling out this marriage to this woman rather than... Even the such a bad person who is getting married for the third time... <laughs> Even he is being forgiven for all his sins. From the time that he got married the first time twice. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just one. He was three times. So, so what's wrong with this? So he was for, so he was forgiven up to that point when he married the other I wife. don't know if he was forgiven. Here the Torah teaches us this concept. I wasn't, I didn't look on his uh, file if he was forgiven the first time, the second time or not. The Torah teaches, chose to take Esau's third marriage to Ishmael and to teach us a concept so that a Gubayt and a Gorm are being forgiven for all the sins. So from Ishmael's story and on. And He's forgiven. That, that from this time we learn, yes. And it's not the Jewish so thing. Prior to that, they didn't count. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'll say something uh, ridiculous here. I mean, I some... some why, why? I don't understand why. Why? Because getting married is the most... It's, a, it's an insane incentive. 
If you know people give out incentives, okay. coupons. Right. If you if you get married, we'll give you for all your sins. Because also you need a lot of blessings when you get married that the children should be healthy, you should get pregnant, and children should be healthy. And God says, I'll take away everything, start a new page. Could this be interpreted to say that on the third time you get married? Third time's the charm. Third time. Try, try. Go ahead. So is it possible for a person to live a righteous life if he has never been married or a woman? Uh, same, same thing. Uh, whether it's a man or Can a, woman. a person be live a righteous life if he was never married? The mitzvah, no, he missed, he missed the biggest mitzvah of getting married and having children. We don't, I mean, he might be a very righteous man, but he missed the most important mission of humanity in the world. First mitzvah, right? You see, but this kind of obviously comes a question of, uh, you see, uh, be fruitful, multiply. And the Rebbe, he didn't have children, so this is kind of... You're right, he couldn't have children. Couldn't have, not he didn't want to have. He couldn't but have. That was a God's way. You're right. We've got, that God decides for you whatever he decides, but I have to try my best. If I can't, I can't. Did Moses get married and have children? Sure. Oh. You should know from evil school. <laughs> what does it You have to go back to first grade to start all over again. I'll tell you, not, not, you probably didn't learn that in evil school. He had two sons. Gershon, what's the son of the other child? Eliezer. Go ahead. What do you say? I was saying, like the Rebbe, like two things. In today's world, do you think that he may have tried artificial insemination? Yes, maybe, maybe. I don't what know. What about adoption? He never considered that. No, he didn't consider adoption. He adopted thousands and thousands of Jewish children all over the world. You know how many kids are named Menachem Mendel and Chaya Mushka? All of them are his children. He has many, many spiritual children. Doesn't have biological children, but he has millions of spiritual children. I think he might have tried the artificial I don't know. I wasn't his doctor. I cannot tell you. <laughs> what? No, I said it totally makes sense that he did not have adapted like how you... Yeah, he didn't have adapted. Mm. Uh, that's, that's a if different Hashem story. Children, if Hashem wanted them to have children, he would have children. He understood if Hashem doesn't want them to have children. But if the, if the technology is there to do it, isn't that God yes. invented... Yeah, but obviously if the technology came late, later, it meant to be. Everything meant to be. Okay, the answer, oh yeah, we learned it. This is also... This also explains why the, this story, why this, the story interrupts the description of Jacob's sojourn to Haran. Yes. It emphasizes how terrible Esau was. Even after all his sins were forgiven, Jacob still needed to flee for his life. But nevertheless, despite Esau's abject spiritual state, all his sins... Were forgiven for one single reason. He engaged in the most elevated of commandments: be fruitful and multiply. Even Esau. When is the story written? Jacob. It's written right after that. Rebecca tells Jacob, "Your brother wants to kill you." The guy is tzaddik, right? Mm -hmm. That's why to run away. Even then, because he got married, all his sins were forgiven. That's how important. You know, we learned it from last week's parsha too. Eliezer come, goes to Haran. He turns to God and he says, if the goal will be, will be nice and kind. And before he finishes, the goal comes out and she's in asking for water. And she says, what? I know this is the right goal, right? And what if it wouldn't come out, somebody from the Abram's family? Maybe it's somebody, a Canaanite, a Hittite, a goal from Haran. 
And it wouldn't work. Would you also take her just because she's kind and nice and she gives water? God cooperated with, with Eliezer. You know why? Because the wedding is too important. No time for messing around. Whatever you do, just get her get married. This is therefore... Finish, this, right? therefore, is the message of Parshas Toldos, which literally means offspring, the importance of bearing children, to be fruitful and multiply, as it is expressed in the story at the end of the Torah portion. Okay. Now, we'll take it. What is the message to us? You're already married. What do you want? What do you want from me? <laughs> I got married. You had to tell me that 30 years ago, 4 years ago, 20 years ago. Now you're coming. What do you want from my life? <laughs> what is the message to every Jew in every level it stands? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the true meaning of being fruitful. On a deeper level. The concept of a marriage between man and woman is derived from the concept of the marriage between God and the people of Israel, who are often called husband and wife, in Song of Songs and in many of the teachings of our sages. In then other, the husband and wife are the Jewish people and God, as we learned that quite a few times. Go ahead. In other words, the union between Israel and their Father in Heaven, which is materialized through studying Torah and engaging in mitzvahs. That means to say... The mitzvah is the child, or more correct. Okay, in a minute you'll see. Continue. Just as the goal of a literal marriage is to procreate and establish a family, the goal of our marriage with God is to be fruitful and multiply in a spiritual way. Mitzvah, for example, are compared to fruit. Similarly, our sages said that if someone teaches Torah to his friend's child, it is as if he has given birth to that child. Oh, this is very important. If you teach Torah to another person, he becomes your child. That means you have to pay for his tuition. <laughs> 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 but it's, big, it's considered... We will learn that from, we learned it from the Torah. It's written... It's written this is, the, this is the, the, the offsprings of Moses and Aaron, and the Torah mentions only Aaron's names. Aaron's kids' names. Then the Talmud says, why is it considered the offsprings of Moses? Because Moses taught them a Torah, therefore they're considered his children. When you teach Torah to another Jew, it's considered your child. That you were asking, the, the Rebbe had children? Millions. Hmm. And, and, and that's every one of us who so is teaching Torah to another person. Then being fruitful and multiplied doesn't have to be physically only, biologically. It could be spiritually. That's the goal. So we all your children? Did you teach us to learn? Absolutely, but I'm not paying your tuition. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, go to the next page. Yeah. Oh, you didn't finish. Go, uh, uh, go ahead, finish, finish. Just turn the page. to his friends, that is, a child is given birth to a child. In simple terms, the goal is to draw the entire Jewish people closer to Judaism, Torah and its commands. You continue. On this note? We're, we're for... Yeah, one second. Yeah, 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 yeah. On this note, we can each learn a lesson from the teachings of our sages mentioned above. That all the sins of the bridegroom are forgiven. First of all, this is a message of encouragement. Every person who chooses to dedicate himself to spreading the teachings of Judaism the spiritual form of being fruitful and multiplying. He is being told that 
Ah, if somebody goes out to spread Torah, all his sins are forgiven. Ay, 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 ay. I mean, a good, good job, huh? <laughs> now, this weekend is the, is the... Go ahead. Uh, so, the question is then arises, if, if it's so much, uh, it's such a mitzvah to spread the Torah. teaching of, of Torah, how come uh, Jewish people don't teach it to other nations? Wait, 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 that's a good question. First of all, we have no obligation to teach the Torah to other nations. The Torah is for the Jewish people. We have to teach about God, about the seven Nochet laws to other people too. This is true. We have to do it. But the reason why the Jewish people were not engaging in other, and bringing other nations believing in God, not to make them Jewish, to believe in God, is because in, for many generations it was considered a death sentence. If you try to, then you're thinking you pastelize. But in today's world, if you meet a non-Jewish person, you should tell him about his obligations. This morning, we had a, a boy came to put on film the first time. And he brought a whole bunch with him to put on film. It was his big one mitzvah will be later. But, and walked in a family, asked the boy, who was 14, to put on film. He never knew it. He never, first time in his life, he couldn't even pronounce correct the blessing. He never heard it. Then uh, somebody says that the father, you should put on film too. That he says, I'm not Jewish, should I put it on? I told him, no, you don't have to put it on. Well, then I told him, I gave him a seed, I told him, but this is for you too. Prayers is for a non-Jew. Every non-Jew is to pray to God. Then really, the, then we have to teach the non-Jewish world to believe in God. They believe in God, most of them, but the one who don't. To pray to God, to be accountable to God, to have faith in God, that everything will work out. And to be all the mitzvahs that we mean men and men. Mitzvahs that make the world a, a, a civil place. What it's called today, tikkun olam. Is all, we have an obligation to non-Jews. But number one, we have an obligation to the Jewish people. You know, it's like people give charity. They go to save the world in Honduras and they don't take care of their own kids. Or their own nephew. He's hungry. They're going to save the world somewhere in Upetzland. But they don't take care of their own children. What's your question? Say I go home and I tell I teach like my I tell my best friend or my mom a little bit about the Torah. Are my sins automatically like? She's um, becoming your child. Yeah, your mother becomes your child. Yes. But are my sins automatically forgiven? Yes. Great, huh? You sin every so many times in one day, in in one minute of your day. How many times your father forgives you, even when you don't when you don't teach to other people? It doesn't matter because all she has to do it is one time, and now she's forgiven. In the next second, she sinned again. So exactly, that's what. That's not only your problem; it's all of us. We're all over the same problem. No, no, film is for Jewish no. people. No, why, he didn't put them. Why is it that non-Jews are not allowed to do these things? I there mean, is mitzvahs for Jews. There is a diet for people. I have, if I have diabetes, I have a certain diet. Other people have other things. You give them another diet. The same thing. There is a spiritual diet for men and a spiritual diet for women. A spiritual diet for Jews and a spiritual diet for a king and a spiritual diet for non-Jews. Everyone has what God knows he needs. And when you mix kasha and borscht, it comes out a bad a a food, a bad type of, uh, a bad stew. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't taste good. You understand? Everyone has to know we have a job. 
The non-Jewish world's job is to make the world a good place. The Jewish world is to make the job, Jewish people's job is to make the world a holy place. Taking a piece of skin of an animal, that's what it's film made of, and it's written the Shema inside there, also about skin, and to put it down on our end, and to, it makes that film a holy thing. The power to sanctify something physical was given to Jews. And we have a job, we are the rabbis of the universe. And we, if we would know what our job is, the world would respect us more. We are the mezuzah of the world. We're supposed to remind the world about God. That's our job. We can be scientists and scientists, all the good stuff. But the real job that we have is to remind the world about God. But what if, by including non-Jewish people, we now extend our Jewish family because they... We might want to convert, maybe. Convert, and they want to be a part. So, isn't that? We are not in the business. Well, I'm not saying, I'm not saying. We that are that's not the in the. No, we're not in the business of converting people. We believe that whatever you were born, that's what you need to be. So you don't have to convert. But, wait a minute. But, but what about the people that have converted? Like my husband converted. If they converted, that's good. They're welcome. But but we are not in the business of converting people. Well, but I'm not saying that we're including them in order to convert them, but what if it no, 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 enlightens, no. enlightens You them? know, when you, when you have a family event, you only want your family there, right? When you spend time with your children, you don't want any stranger there, right? Okay. There is places for everything. There is places for the family. There is places for the world. When you mix things, you only comes out with one bed, cholent. Everyone has his place in his relationship with God. Our job is not to extend our family to the rest of the world. It's to extend our beliefs to the rest of the world. But my children are my children. Your children are your children. His children are his children. Everyone has his place. And we are not interested in the non-Jewish people to become Jewish. Okay, so my personal situation. My father-in-law yeah. married a woman who is not Jewish. Okay. We've had our bat mitzvahs and our bar mitzvahs, and we have our Shabbat, like, you know. Very nice. You want to, to, you, you want to, you want to welcome somebody in the family to the, to, the ta- to the Shabbos table. That's nice. But that's not the goal. You understand? Oh, I didn't say that it was the And goal. also, this promotes intermarriage. So if she is not Jewish, am I supposed to not invite her? I didn't say you're supposed to not invite her. I'm just talking in general. Inclusiveness in, promotes intermarriage. That's a problem. Simple. Aren't Muslims and Christians trying to convert other people? They are, what they are doing is their business. Yeah. I know what Judaism says. And God says that everyone should be what he was born. A Jew who is born Jewish should be Jewish. A person who is born not Jewish, it doesn't have to be Jewish. God doesn't expect him to be Jewish. If he wants to convert, if he goes the old, through the old journey, God bless him. But he doesn't have to. What is it? I think, I don't know if I heard it from you or from Miriam that the, a lot of people who choose to convert are actually Jewish. They, what, it, what Kabbalah tells us, that when a person goes through the whole process of conversion, the long process of conversion, according to Jewish law, it's a proof that his soul, his soul in past life was in a Jewish, with a Jewish soul. And that's what pushed them to convert. That's why when somebody converts, we don't call them, in, the, in Jewish law, in Jewish writings, we don't call them a goy who convert. We call them a ger, a convert who converted. We don't even call them the non, a non-Jews who convert. 
call them a convert to converted because it's a proof that deep down he had a soul, he had a soul that was, that pushed him to become Jewish. Wouldn't that be the same for maybe somebody who, like my mother-in-law, I'm not saying that this is true or not, but like she married into the Jewish, a Jewish husband and she's living more of a Jewish life than she is a non-Jewish life at this point. I understand, like, but like those... Maybe it's because her soul somewhere... Could be, I listen, I'm not a maven of souls. So. I can tell you what's written. <laughs> but, uh, so to include her would be... I'm not saying not to include it. I'm just telling you that this business of opening yourself to everybody is the number one promoter for, for intermarriage. You invite 20 uh, na- neighbors for the Seder table, and then one of your children falls in love with the girl. And it's so nice. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful, right? And but then what, you end up with this. the outcome is that they convert? We are not in the I'm business of conversions. We are not in this business. But we're not, we're not doing it for the reason you of know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. We don't do two mitzvahs in a row. There is one mitzvah to convert and there's another mitzvah to get married. We don't include two mitzvahs in one shot. <laughs> you got, you you got it? Go ahead. The mother is Jewish, then her children are Jewish. Right. Yes. Even if the father is Jewish. Yes. Right. What about the grandmother? If you can't skip a generation? That doesn't work like this. I'm sorry. Barry, if you would write a book, it would be different rules. <laughs> uh, but I don't write a book either. Not mm-hmm. me and not you. That's what the book is. Okay, let's continue. We got lost a little Moral. bit. Uh, this negates a claim raised by a number of people that they are not worthy enough to serve in the role of teachers and givers. In their view, knowing how far are they from perfection, they must work on themselves before they work on others. You know, many people say, I'm going to teach others. Who am I? I don't know anything. That's, uh, the, the Rebbe says, you don't have to know, be perfect. Continue. This is the lesson. This is the lesson from the teaching regarding Isa. Their decision to dedicate your life for a significant portion of to engage in spiritual procreation brings heavenly success to your personal state of being. All your sins are forgiven, and naturally, you become worthier to give others as well. Now you're a righteous person. The moment you made a decision to teach other people Torah, you're becoming righteous. I would suggest everyone should teach his family, nucleus family Torah, he will become righteous, and everything will work out the rest of it. Right? Now, then, and it's interesting that this, we learned this, and there is a, to, to, uh, this weekend is the convention of all Chabad rabbis. Mm-hmm. And basically, the Rebbe said that to inspire the Chabad rabbis to, to, to then no matter what your opinion, people said, oh, I'm not complete, I need students to learn. And the Rebbe said, go out and teach Torah what you're catching. <laughs> we'll forgive you the sins, we'll do anything for you, just do it. But that's all, everyone here. If you invite other Jewish families to your table for Shabbat, or you share your Judaism, lighting candle, whatever it is, you are forgiven for your sins. That's an unbelievable statement. Moreover, is it just once okay. one invitation, or do you have to do it all the time? No, if you if you don't sin for the rest of your life, that's a good. <laughs> but if you plan to sin a little more, you better invite more people. At least three. <laughs> moreover, moreover, if you think you are in the lowest possible place, remember that this idea that the bridegroom is absolved of his sins was told to us regarding the marriage of Esau. You know, many times people say, oh, me, my sins, God will never forgive me. Esau was worse than you. <laughs> Go ahead. Teaching us that your uh, previous state is irrelevant. 
even if you resemble Isa, God forbid, the, mom, the moment you choose uh, to spiritually procreate and educate your life to draw the Jewish people closer to their uh, Father in heaven, you will be raised out of <coughs> your previous state and your true identity will come to four. Um, what the Rebbe is saying here is, then by doing, by spread, spreading Judaism, you become elevated. But he didn't marry a Jew. So Who married a Jew? Esau. Esau is just a lesson. Okay. The true desire is to fulfill the mitzvot and uh, distance yourself from prohibitions. Naturally, all your misdeeds will fall away. Look, but you had experience. When you speak about Chabad, suddenly you, you realize how much you became a fan, right? When you speak about a mitzvah, suddenly you realize how you identify yourself with the mitzvah. If you try to convince somebody to light candles or to keep kosher or whatever it is, and you not start... Just like, not, not just inspire somebody, inspire a Jew. Inspire a non-Jew to do what he's supposed to and inspire a Jew to do what he's supposed to. If you right. inspire a non-Jew to light candles, you wasted your time. Right, that, that's what I'm saying. Yes, so, but if you inspire a non-Jew to daven, to pray to God, if you inspire a non-Jew to give charity, to volunteer, that's a big mitzvah. If you inspire a Jew, not only to volunteer, but to light candles or to put up a mezuzah on his door, that's, that's what you're talking about, yeah. If you inspire a girl to, light, to put on film, you, you didn't accomplish anything. The boys who light, we put, we, if the boys who light candles and the girls who put on film, it would be a mess. Everyone should do what he's supposed to do. Why can't women put on the film? I don't understand. That's another class. We'll get well. And what is that along the same line as why women don't wear kippahs? Exactly. The same thing. Because we're higher than that. Yes, because the whole idea of film, I said it today. Uh, thanks for bringing it up. In, 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 in one minute, I'll tell you, I said it today in the service. I told them, I said, the whole idea of film is to put it as on your, next to your, against your heart and over your, over your head and on your end that your thought, your speech, in your heart, your thought, your feelings, and your action should be the way God wants it. And we tie the left side. You know, the right side is the more Jewish side. The left side is considered the bad side. Then we tie our bad side to God. We tie ourselves to God. Men have to tie themselves more to God. Women are connected. They don't have to tie it. They are naturally connected. That's the real reason. And I can promise you, no women want to put on film. When I was young, I was jealous that my sisters can sleep as long as they want. They don't have to put on film. And we have to put on film. And then when I came to America and I heard that girls want to put on film, I thought she, they fell off from the moon. Why you want to do this? I wouldn't want to. And doesn't that go back to the sin, to the apples in the Garden of Eden? It was not Eve's. Wrongdoing. I mean, it's because it's a whole story. We learned it about that a year ago. It's Adam told Eve the wrong thing, and therefore Eve messed, messed up. And from since then, God started to speak to speak to the women first. Yes. That, but that's why the he, he avoid the men. He says, talk, that's, "That's what I do. I talk to the women. I don't waste time on the men." But that's why the like, why the the men are not as connected to God. Like they are no, no. the ones that they ruined everything. They need to keep remembering. Yeah, yeah, I know that they ruined everything. Everything is all the men's fault. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. Every day, every Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As in our house, too. Why there is a mitzvah to get married so that you constantly remind Now you understand? <laughs> now you understand why you, all your sins are, co- are forgiven because your guy will give you hell and you don't need any sins. God doesn't have to punish you. That's why my wife says everything she does is perfect and everything I do is wrong. And she's right, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, who is supposed to read next? I forgot. No, please. It's resource number six. 
they wanted to appoint Rabbi Zaira to a post, mm-hmm. uh, but he did not want to accept it. But when he heard it said uh, that a bridegroom, a sage, and a leader are absolved of their sins, he accepted the position. Yeah, there's a story about Rabbi Zaira. He was, he came from Babylon. He was, he made Aliyah from Babylon, one of the greatest rabbis, a very, Zaira it means short also. And he, there's a lot of stories about him in town with a great scholar, and they wanted to become the, the leader of the yeshiva, and they didn't want him. He was humble. He also said, me? There is other people, maybe give him, give him. And he heard that if you're being appointed on a, on a, on a post, all your sins are forgiven. He, he accepted that. Huh? Another it's another marriage. It's another because marriage. Because when you are appointed in the Jewish people for a post, believe me, they'll give you such hell, you mm. will forgive them for all your sins. You don't need any sins. <laughs> don't need any punishment from God. Okay. Regarding... Regarding the sage, uh, the verse says, rise before the sage and honor the elder. Mm-hmm. What is the following verse? When a convert... A convert uh, lives among you. Lives among you. Just as all the sins of a uh, convent convert, it's a mistake. Fix it. Convert are forgiven. So too are sage who is appointed. All his sins are forgiven. Ah, now you learn that the convert is forgiven for all his sins. That will get better. But he learned. We learned that it's written. You should respect the older, the scholar. And next to it is written convert. That the Talmud learns just as a convert is forgiven for his sins. So too, somebody who becomes a rabbi, who is appointed to a leadership a position, is forgiven for all his sins. That's one. Go ahead. So the person who converts to Judaism is... He's is is like considered a new person. He, gets out from, he comes out from the mikveh. He's like a, born, he's a child who was born this minute. In essence, he can start to count his age from the day, was, like his day of his born. That is Jewish birthday. He's a new person. Got it. Got it. Does that work every time you go into mikveh? No. Only if you convert. Uh, regarding a bridegroom, a bridegroom, mm-hmm. was her name actually Mahalaf? Wasn't her name Basmat? Basmat. Uh, rather, this name teaches us that all Esau's sins were forgiven. That's what you learned before, right? About a bridegroom, about a, a chosen, a groom. And the third one, regarding a leader. Regarding a leader, Saul, Saul was one year old. King Saul, oh, you say, oh, I like it. You jumped. Saul was one year old when he ruled. What is he? How can a one-year-old baby rule? The Torah says, it's written in the book of Samuel, that Saul was one year old when he ruled, when he became the king. Then the Talmud is asking, what, what are you saying? How could you say such a statement? Continue. What he, uh, what he, one, what he one year old, was he? It's a uh, fix it. Was he one year? Uh, okay. Rather, rather, all his sins were forgiven like a one-year-old child. He was pure like a one-year-old child. Because he became the king, he was forgiven for all his sins. Now comes something very interesting. Go ahead. What's your question? Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Avia. Go ahead. We can now understand the common denominator between the three categories of people who are forgiven. For their sins, the sage, leader, and the and bridegroom, the sage and leader also take on the task of spiritually being fruitful and multiplying. A sage is someone who teaches Torah to the Jewish people, and a leader is someone who answers to God alone. 
In other words, he is a king. What is the task of a king? As what? Maimonides writes. Who is Maimonides? Rambam. You ever heard about Rambam? You learned about him in school. Moshe ben Maimon. And in English, the name is Maimonides, named after his father, Maimon, Maimonides. That's his last name, so to speak. As Maimonides writes, his task to advance the true faith and encourage the Jewish people to follow the Torah and mitzvot. That means to say, even our, our king is basically a teacher. He's teaching Judaism. Now, there is another piece that was in 1963, the second president of Israel passed away. I don't know if it was suddenly or not, Yitzhak Ben Zvi. And they offered the job, Ben Gurion offered the job to a guy, his name was Shneo Zalman Shazar. Shneo Zalman is the name of the first Chabad Rebbe. It was a man who was from the Hasidic family, a descendant, and he's named after the first Chabad Rebbe. And he was close to Chabad a little bit. And he became, he ended end up to be, to become the, the president. And Ben-Gurion told them, I want, should be a president in Israel as to be somebody who can go with this, with the lulav and netrog on the street. Somebody who understands who is, is a Jewish, but he was a very strong, um, warm Jew, full of Jewish life. He wasn't orthodox. He didn't put on film necessarily every day, but he was a very traditional person. Then when he became president, the Rebbe was very happy, and the Rebbe spoke about that, and he congratulated him in New York. He was president, but he was many times by the Rebbe before and after. And he did a lot of good things to Judaism. Then here the Rebbe speaks about him, the Shabbos after he became president, he was elected. He was elected by a majority. He was, was a very beloved person by everybody. Go ahead. <clears throat> This is an appropriate time to mention someone who was recently appointed to a leadership position. Since he was appointed by Jewish people, the uh, divine presence rests on every ten people, and among them many dozens of God-fearing men. The Talmud statement is uh, no doubt applicable. A leader is absolved of his sins. Basically, the Rebbe said because he became a leader, he, all his sins were, were absolved. The guy was not the most righteous man. Or, I mean, not, not, not in the way a righteous man, he was a bad guy. But he was not a religious man. He was a religious boy in Yeshiva when he was young, and he left everything. The Rebbe said all his sins are absolved because he became a leader of the Jewish people. Okay. There are those who will question this assumption, but all questions come from opposing the holiness of holiness my father-in-law the previous rabbi is well known to have said that the way to test something is by its results in this case on his first day in the new position he immediately engaged in an act of peace you uh, reuniting a husband with his wife and children and despite the difficulties um, it entailed, entailed as they wrote to me. He did it with enthusiasm. In that case, bygones. bygones should be bygones. As stated, he is absolved. The Rebbe said, and the first day, you know, a president in Israel can pardon people. 
just like the president here. And the first day, he, he pardoned a person, a, a family, a, a man was sitting in jail for doing something that the government didn't like, but it was not. It was a whole story there. The bottom line is he pardoned them and he let them go back home to his wife. And the Rebbe said, when you look every time, if you want to know if something is good or bad, you look at the outcome in many cases. Listen, if it's not allowed, it's not allowed. But there is many natural things and there is an argument. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? You look on the outcome. What came out from this party? What came out from this event? What came out from my deed? If the outcome is, do, is good, that's a test that what I did was good. Because he became the, pre, the president, he already re, uh, released somebody from jail and let him go home to his family. They said, whatever happened, happened, and God forgiven for his sin. Yeah? I don't always know what the... If you're going to look to the outcome to decide if your choice was a good choice or not... But you don't always know what that outcome is going to be. You're right. But if you, do the, if you did, did it once and you see that the outcome is bad, you know next time not to do it. Hmm. Well, what about letting that... Many things look very good on paper. But the outcome is bad. For example, we have here, uh, the Russian side. <laughs> Communism <laughs> on paper looks amazing. Communism looks amazing. We'll all live equally. We'll give it together. We'll share with everything. The kibbutz. Beautiful. And it turned to be what? Hell for every human being who lived there until today. Right? This is a perfect example. Then when, and, and sometimes it looks very good, but it's, the outcome tells you if it's good or not. And when you want to make a choice, think about the outcome. What will be the outcome? And if you see where the outcome is going, you know if it's the right thing or the wrong thing. That's a perfect way to know if you do, you do the right thing or the wrong things. I think this teaches us that uh, whatever choices we make in life, uh, we need to be able to not stand by them, regardless whether they're good or bad, uh, whether, whether they're bad, because some people are just too proud to, to change their mind. It says, you know what, if you can see that something bad happened, go back and fix it. You know, make a different choice. Because, I mean, as you see, like a bunch of politicians making certain decisions and I'll tell you, it turns out to be bad or so forth. You're right. Go back and fix it. More, more of it. I tell people when they send the kids to school, think 20 years from now where you, kids, where you want the kids, kids to be. You know, which car you're driving today in 20 years, you'll not even remember. <laughs> but what it, with the choices that you make it your kids today, think long term. The outcome, what will be in two generations? Make decisions that in two generations you'll be happy with. Not only for five minutes. Well, that's the problem with America. Everybody's too short-sighted. You bet. You go to Japan and they think fine. Yeah, they're perfect. The people in Japan are perfect. <laughs> I know that. I know that. But that's why, listen, I cannot fix America. I want to fix myself, maybe. Continue with regards. With regard to the future, despite the unique challenges that a leader faces, may God give him the strength to overcome all obstacles and tests that will come his way. Most of them are, in fact, mere illusions. May he use the opportunities, and he has now and then, he will have in the future to strengthen and spread Torah and traditional Judaism without being influenced by those who want to compromise, etc. And use his abilities, especially in light of the blessings he received from the previous Rebbe, to spread Torah and Judaism throughout the land of Israel, making it worthy of being called a holy land. He basically gave him blessings. He should be successful. He should not be afraid to fall the nudnikes. He should do the right thing. He should utilize his opportunity as a president of Israel 
to spread Judaism. And he did a lot, a lot of good, this man. A, very, a, a, a lot. Thank you all for joining.